double times five this month. Let the sangria flow like the blood seeping out of your chorizo. If your chorizo was cooked all wrong and turned out bad, I don't really know how chorizo's made. Bueno estente! Esto es Diablo por Cinco, episodio 71. And as you might have gathered from my excellent pronunciation of those Google Translate results, this month we're in Spainland Europe to look at some Spanish horror classics from the 60s, 70s and 80s. My name's Cliff and my dreaded devils this month. My, my, my dreaded, my dreaded devils, Madrid, my, my dreaded devils. Good. Good. Are Luke, Bryony, and Emily. Hey. Olé. 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 I did Duolingo. Lesson one, apparently. Uh, no, I've got like a streak going. I can say like, una mesa para cinco personas, por favor. Oh, nice. Cool. Thank you. Uh, plus, our guest devil is someone a bit different from usual. Our first musician guest. And not just any musician, but an absolute legend in the world of drum and bass. Over two decades in the game, and this is what he sounds like. It's a big Devil Times 5 hello to the gold-selling, Grammy-nominated, High Contrast. Hello, Lincoln. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you. Oh, was good, wasn't it? That, that was a nice little mini-mix as well. There's a few I'd forgotten in there. <laughs> well, you've been doing a long time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> Bit mad to have you on our humble little podcast. Um humble as if anything i do is humble uh but we follow each other on letterboxd and it's clear that you really know your horror you're well into horror yeah i mean uh i may be a musician although some might debate that but my lifelong passion is, has been movies and especially horror films and uh you, you know i i love making music but i don't really like talking about it i love talking about films so okay. you know you, you, you're probably gonna have to shut me up uh, tonight. <laughs> well, I know you've sampled bits of um, Goblin and Fabio Fritz's horror scores in some of your Yes, tracks. all my albums are littered with uh, bits from uh, <laughs> lots of, you know, video nasties and stuff. Any Spanish horror samples made their way in, though? I did sample uh, Jess Franco's Bloody Moon. Oh, what a um, film. But uh, I, it's been sitting on my hard drive now for like 15 years waiting for the right tune. So, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got that one uh, ready to go. Uh, it's wicked to have you here. As usual, we shall start things off with our Altas y Bajas of recent weeks. Has in Lotos. Lotos. <laughs> yeah, <Okay. laughs> I'm deeply Spanish. I'm just giggling because you talked about sampling um, Goblin and then thinking you're like, yeah, a little cheeky sample. Yes. And then I sat here for a little bit thinking of a cheeky Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that filled me with a lot of joy. Just like, hee hee hee. <laughs> Go away a bit. You can have your cheeky Goblin after the, after the show. <laughs> oh, wow, 
<laughs> You've cheapened oh, this. It's too early really. in the podcast for this, guys. Come on. I was just thinking of a little like man in the woods being like, hee hee hee, look at my toadstools. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I think that we used to get warnings about that when I was at school. <laughs> if a man comes up to you girls and says, look at my toadstools, stay well away. I'm going to redirect this. My highs this month. No lows. Um, hang on. Hang on. It's Luke first. <laughs> well. He didn't pick you. <laughs> I'm just being a cheeky goblin. <laughs> um, my high is um, Barbarian. Um, okay. Which I had fun with. Um, I think it does definitely suffer from some pacing issues. Um, but I liked that I thought something else was going on. And then it took quite a weird route. I do think when Justin Long comes into it, the film, it sort of loses some bits of it. But I, thought I still had fun with it. Um, and I did love the ridiculous ending as well. Yeah, it's a good film. The first 25 minutes or 35 or whatever it is are like pretty perfect little thriller in themselves. And then yeah. it's not just that it switches to the next bit, but it actually acts as if the end credits are about to roll. Like music yeah. plays <laughs> and faces black. And oh, I love that. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good film. Very good. It is, yeah. And my low is uh, I wanted to enjoy it. And I think there is some good moments to it. But Sissy, the new Shudder oh. film about an influencer going away for their friend's um, hen weekend, but then realising that the bully from school is also at the hen weekend, and now they're going to get revenge. Oh, God, that sounds like a Reddit thread. Yeah. It really <laughs> yeah. Does, <doesn't> <laughs> There's a lot of influencer horror that keeps getting released that some of them really don't work. Like American Horror Stories did a whole influencer episode. And I, just, I don't know, sometimes they get it right and sometimes it just doesn't really work. And with this, it didn't work as well as it could have done. But when it gets gory and that, it does work very well. Like the end of the film mm. and everything is fun. Like the last 15 minutes are very, very fun. But it, yeah. it takes too long to get to what's really happening. I, I just can't stand all these modern day horror films where all the characters are unlikable. These films about Gen Z people, they don't seem to actually like... Gen Z people very much. Because well, so they're not made by Gen Z people. It's like yeah. some old fuck in a big white room just like, oh, what do the kids like? They like influencing. What does that mean? Ah, uh, Instagram. Make sure they use the word triggered at one yeah. point. Uh, you know. Woke and say a hashtag. Well, we, got, we got a whole horror film called Triggered as well. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I bet that's good. Make sure the girl with the big tits, when she gets stabbed, she says hashtag Stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to find the horror film Triggered underneath the 25 stand-up specials called Triggered? <laughs> Which are all advertised with a picture of a middle-aged man holding a microphone like it's a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> well, I bailed on Sissy after five minutes. Really? Yeah. What, just from the opening? Of yeah, yeah. Her showing her. Yeah, that goes on for way too long, doing a whole video, because no one online now, no one really sits around for over a minute and a half for some of these videos. Yeah. And she, she yeah, makes yeah, like exactly. a whole five-minute long tutorial. One of the problems with making films that are based on, you know, current technologies and social media is that by the time the film comes out, it's probably already out of date in some way. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Emily. I've been watching old films at the BFI. They've got a season on at the moment called In Dreams on Monsters, which is basically a lot of good horror stuff with the occasional lectures and highbrow conversation about it, which has all been really cool and fun. So my highlights this month would be, first of all, an imperial phase Argento film that for some reason I'd not seen before, um, Inferno. Oh, banger. That was absolutely cracking. Absolutely loved it. It's completely mad, but, you know, it does the nonsensical, mad, beautiful, insane fairy tale thing extremely well i said on the very first episode of this podcast the thing about inferno 
is you have to go into it imagining that you're half an hour late. Yes. You've, you've missed the first bit. And then it makes sense. Yeah. My mate was suggesting, was there a film between Suspiria and that that explained what was going on? I was yeah. Like, no, just, just go with it. I mean, I did laugh out loud at the end where the witch goes, we are death, and then turns into a big skeleton. But yeah, that was yeah, kind yeah. of awesome. It's so good. It's got an unnecessarily jaunty soundtrack as well. Yeah. Keith Emerson. That's right. Yeah. It's a cool soundtrack, but it does mean that the scene where the guy's getting eaten by rats has got music that sounds like it should be of an inspirational story about a puppy that survived a bomb blast or something. It's just... <laughs> It's still really, really inappropriate, but it's it's um cracking bit of madness. Really enjoyed yes. it. The other one I'll choose as my highlight was they screened Ghost Watch just before Halloween. Oh, nice. And it's quite interesting seeing that on a big screen and there being a lot of people in the room who were giggling at the, oh, it wasn't TV in the 90s a long time ago, haha, <laughs> and then still being a bit scared. And there was like a Q&A afterwards with the writer, director and the producer. They had some interesting stuff to say. But unfortunately, the producer who was in the middle of talking about what the TV landscape is like now versus what it was like then versus how you get horror in technology was interrupted by a heckling drunk woman who was screaming, just talk about the ghosts. I only want to hear about the ghosts. <laughs> There's always one, isn't there? At a Q&A? Yeah. And then she said, anyway, ghosts like it when you talk about them. <laughs> which suggests to me not only was she obnoxious and annoying she actually thought ghost Mental. watch was real oh, bless her. <laughs> did she proceed that with um this is more of a statement than a question <laughs> <laughs> there will be a mention of ghost watch later on actually in the main body of the podcast i won't spoil why but uh hmm. yeah emily you might have picked up on something when you watched it you might not have anyway lincoln your highs and lows i've got a high a low and a mid if that's okay because um i watched the trilogy that i had never seen before the amityville horrors the first three i mean there's been lots of sequels (laughs) since then (laughs) because people realized it wasn't like copyrightable so they just stick amityville on any old uh, nonsense can i guess which order that you've got the high mid and low in uh, yeah, yeah, go is, ahead. Is, the, is your low the original Amityville Horror, the middle is Amityville 3D, and the high is Amityville 2, The Possession? Exactly. Same for everyone. <laughs> oh no, we've got two cliffs. <laughs> uh, but the, the original Amityville, uh, I didn't think was very good, but... It's so weirdly similar to The Shining. I was just really baffled by that because they came out within two years of each other. So I don't think there could have been any direct copying, but there are so many similarities. Like the kids got an imaginary friend that Mm. uh, shows them things and there's writing on the wall and there's blood pouring down the walls of the house and and the the dad is a a frustrated writer and there's just weird parallels. Um, But obviously it's nowhere as good as The Shining. Um, My high is Amityville 2, The Possession. I think it's one of the best horror sequels, like in terms of the the quality improvement from the the original. Yeah. um, It it blew me away. And uh, it was directed by Damiano Damiani, who directed one of my favorite spaghetti westerns, A Bullet for the General. He's also done some very clever uh, political thrillers in Italy in the 70s. As far as I know, he hadn't done a horror film before. And it's like he just went all out on this one and apparently tried to make the most offensive film he possibly could, (laughs) uh, which I I always think is a great way to approach uh, directing a movie. Um, So I really enjoyed it. A a breath of fresh air or or putrid air, if you like. Um, (laughs) That's great. But the, the, the mid, yeah, is Amityville 3. 
uh, which was shot in 3D. And so it's just full of people throwing things towards the camera or things shooting towards the camera, any opportunity. Uh, so it doesn't really work in 2D and is generally a, a kind of like a family-friendly version of Amityville. I think they were trying to go for a Spielberg thing. It feels like Poltergeist. But it's still quite fun. Um, Brian E. Two highs, two teleseries, because I have a limited attention span. You say that, but these TV series, they go on for fucking ages, and you have to remember <laughs> what's happened in the previous episodes. Yeah. Um, I think it feels So maybe I'm really good at attention. I think you've got a long attention span. Long attention, squirrel. Um... Yes. So, uh, first one is Devil's Hour on Amazon Prime. Fucking brilliant. So good. So it's a kind of drama, thriller, horror. It's spoopy. It's got shining vibes as a creepy kid. It's got Peter Capaldi, a.k.a. my dad, in it. It's fucking great. He's not my actual dad, obviously. He's just a man who looks like my dad. He's just saying that because you look a bit like Lewis Capaldi. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. That's the (laughs) nicest thing you've ever said. Thanks. No, um, no, it's a really good, so it's basically, there's a woman, she's got a creepy son, she's got an absent husband, and uh, she keeps waking up at 3.33 every night with these weird dreams about her mum killing herself. Um, I don't want to explain it too much, it's just, it's very good at building suspense, it's very creepy. There was a lot of times where I was quite, like, tense inside, so I I really recommend it, just very, very uh-huh. good, and I haven't been that excited about a piece of TV in a long time. You know me, I usually just watch American Horror Story, I'm like, I like that. Yes, um, Babylon 5 and Star Trek. Um, and... Uh, Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit, but I like Star Trek. Um, <laughs> yeah, other high? Uh, it's a middling high, it kind of goes good, bad, so... Um, Netflix has Gamma Totoro's Cabinet of Curiosities on at the moment, and he does a whole Hitchcock thing of like, hello, look at my big cabinet, it's full of things, I'm Gamma Totoro. <laughs> look at my waistcoat. Some of them are hit, some of them miss, some of them are really shit. I've only watched up to an episode called The Outside, which is what the stuff could have been. And I know how much you guys hate the stuff. <laughs> I love the stuff. stuff. <laughs> well, you, you were quite angry at me for picking the stuff. It was only Phil who hated the stuff. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah no. So yeah, The Outside. If you only watch one episode of the Galma Totoro Cabinet of watch The Outside. The main lead in it is incredible. Yeah, she was amazing, I thought. Oh, have you seen it? It's so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. My favourite one is episode seven, uh, The Viewing, which is directed by Panos Cosmatos, who made uh, Mandy. That blew me away. Like the the soundtrack is fantastic and the visual style of it is amazing. It's incredible. I'd like to watch Jennifer Kent's one because she did uh, The Babadook. It's very dull. Which one does she do? The Murmuring. It's the last episode. She does grief well, but it's just, it goes on for a bit. I I, I couldn't stand that one, yeah. It's very predictable and feels quite unoriginal. Um, I think she could have done something a lot better. All right. Uh, My high, I think I'll go with Terrifier 2, as no one else has mentioned it. Um, I mean, it's not the greatest thing. It's two hours fucking 18 minutes long, which is a bit (laughs) unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah. The first 20 minutes are long. The last 20 minutes are like some sort of children's film, like The Goonies or something. But the bit in the middle, the actual, like, when it's a slasher movie, fucking hell, it's good. It's it's nice and pacey and it's really, 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 really gory. Like, really gory. Like, quite fucking incredible. And um, you know how I feel about clowns in horror. Like, it's like, <laughs> mm, route one, just like, get over yourselves. Clowns aren't scary. Your catchphrase, Cliff, is just, oh, grow up. Grow up, yeah, clowns aren't scary. But the guy who plays Art the Clown in this is really good. He's he's not scary, but he just does it really well. He's funny, like clowns are meant to be. And sinister as well. 
Yeah, he's very good. And my low is A Ghost Waits. Luke, I know you've seen that. <laughs> uh, I saw it at a film festival and it has to be one of the worst films I have ever seen in my life. And I feel sorry for the director being lied to because everyone said how much they loved the film. Mm. But it's just so badly made that um, mm. it felt like because he'd gone there, because he made it, because it was all to do with his dad and he was trying to get over the death of his dad. But I feel like people were just trying to be too nice because that had happened. It makes a lot of sense because there's absolutely no reason why anyone should have seen this film. It's, it's, <laughs> it shouldn't be played to anyone. Do you know when CJ talks about um, film poisoning? Like when mm. he's seen something particularly nasty or whatever. I felt so, like, just something wrong with me. Like the next um, 36 hours after watching it, like... I've I've never seen a dead body in real life, but you know how people go, oh, you know, it changes your whole perception of everything once you've seen something as bleak as a dead body. It's like, I, I think my whole perception of cinema has changed since I've watched this fucking shit film. I, I just think everyone who was involved in the making of it should have shot themselves. Um, well, Cliff, as a special surprise tonight, we've got the director here as <laughs> a secret guest. I wish you'd been there at that film festival screening. <laughs> it's not a question, it's more of a statement. Uh, everyone involved in this just shoot themselves. Thank you. <laughs> Especially the bands whose songs are on the soundtrack, because they're the, like the worst pile of shit I've ever heard. Oh. It's like they've tried to make a nice, simple sponge cake for you, right? But instead of flour, they've scraped like 200 grams of skid marks off someone's pants. Oh, right? well, that's just and unnecessary. Instead of, instead of eggs, it's like just flob. And oh, instead of milk, you know that episode of Come Dine With Me where the snake does a <laughs> runny shit on the dinner table? They use the <laughs> no. runny snake shit as milk and they put it all in the oven and they've come out with this. And they've said, here's a sponge cake and it kind of looks like a sponge cake, but it's just the worst thing I've ever seen. I think my favourite thing about you saying that is that you thought we were all going to remember that episode <laughs> of Come Dine With Me. It's well famous. <laughs> Was this an episode directed by John Waters or something? <laughs> oh, if only that would be amazing. <laughs> There's two things in life that change your perception. <laughs> Three things. Seeing a dead body for the first time, watching a ghost wait, or seeing that episode of Come Dine With Me where the snake shits on the dinner table. Oh my God. <laughs> Also, I've, I don't think I've heard the word flob since about 1993. <laughs> so um, that's one of those words that I never knew was due a comeback. I'm bringing flob back. Oh, God. <laughs> you talked about cake and I immediately thought the fact that my mother-in-law puts jam in the batter. And I was like, yeah, that's awful. And then you started talking about... In the batter? Like, yeah, in the batter. It's awful. Um, and then... <laughs> what? what does it, but how does Who it... Does? Who does that? that My does, mother I've never heard of that type of recipe. <laughs> She's a flanging her called Christian or something. Um, I don't know. I thought you said flanging her Krishna or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seen her flanging her Krishna. No, she puts it in sponge, mate. She puts it in sponge. Um, she don't listen to this. It's fine. That ain't cranberry jam. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Let's talk about Spain, hey? Yes. All this year I'm off to sunny Spain Viva España And we're beginning our journey with Armando de Osorio's Blind Dead series which began in 1972 with Tombs of the Blind Dead Blind terror strikes fear into the hearts of innocent people The morgue receives the victims of the blind dead There's no escape from the blind dead They are the Templars Devil worshippers a death cult that has risen from their thousand-year-old tombs to begin a horrible reign of terror. 
A beautiful young girl is trapped by the evil forces. No one is safe from their curse. They're coming! Ah! A human sound in the ancient cemetery brings the evil creatures from their tombs. The Templars perform their sadistic rites. A virgin is sacrificed in a blood ritual. A fiery death for those who can't escape the blind dead. Coming soon from your cemetery. A potential menage a trois between Virginia, Betty and Roger goes awry when Virginia gets killed by zombies while the other two aren't looking. So Betty and Roger head back to the abandoned monastery where they last saw her. Or, according to IMDb, medieval knights come back from the dead to torment a group of vacationing college kids. They're not vacationing college kids, are they? No, they're post-college. They're post-college. They're vacationing, though. They are vacationing, accidentally, but um, the trailer makes it sound a lot less breezy than it actually is. Yeah, they decide to vacation together pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah. Hi, I'm Roger. I'm Bay. I'm Virginia. Let's go on holiday together. <laughs> yes. That's how it works, isn't it? They're already on holiday, and then she's by the pool. She's like, oh, Betty. And then she's like, oh, hello. Ho, ho, we used to be lesbians, but now you have a boyfriend. I might shag your boyfriend. Let's get on a train. Fuck this. I'm off the train. Oh, no, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Um, nights occur. And then they badly flog a lady. You missed out the bit where she remembers her lesbian sex with, um, well, their lesbian sex with each other. And there's steam in the bedroom. That's how steamy it is. I thought that was a great little touch that you don't often see in films where a flashback is introduced by something actually happening in the frame. So Mm. the steam from the the steam engine that they're on then turns into the mist in the bedroom in the flashback. Yeah, you get the impression someone's standing off camera just like pumping (laughs) their steam in every (laughs) side. Keep the illusion going. Just just some old Spanish man at the side going, I wonder if that was one of the production Jeffs who had to do that. Because what I really like about these films is in the opening credits, there's always Jeffs to production, production managers. But production Jeffs, I just like to think all the production managers are called Jeff in Spain. Yeah. yeah, I love this film. I don't know about you guys, but I think there's something really haunting about the Blind Dead characters. They're one of my favourite kind of horror creations, you know, um, when they're on their horses and filmed in slow motion. I think it's really spooky. They are great zombie designs. They're really good. I don't understand if their horses are meant to be zombies too or not. In the sequel, they established that. But their budgets couldn't stretch to like fully give you the zombie horses. In the first one, one of the unanswered questions was, is the horse a zombie? And then in the sequel, they lift up the hood, go... Yes, the horse is also a zombie, so they answer that. Well done. But then. the horses don't shuffle around like zombies do, which. But they're in slow motion. <laughs> they're slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> she could have got away, for fuck's sake. But, you know, there's uh, two versions of this first Blind Dead movie. There's the the Spanish cut, which I think is the one we all saw, and there's an, the American version, which cuts out a lot of the violence and nudity and plot, like some crucial plot things are missing from the American one. But they also take that flashback to when it shows you the Templar Knights when they were alive a Mm. few hundred years ago doing a ritual sacrifice. They cut that out from the middle of the movie and put it at the start. Which I'm I'm kind of torn on on what is better um, because it is a hell of a way to start a movie with that scene. Yeah, I think the film starts pretty fast anyway. Like I say, the way that they decide to all go on holiday together within about three seconds. 
It's, it's pretty speedy stuff. But then when she jumps off the train, which is only 14 minutes in, it just grinds to a halt because we have to spend 10 minutes watching her walk around this abandoned monastery thing. I love that sequence. Like, that's my favourite part of the film because it's like 20 minutes <laughs> without dialogue. <laughs> And I love sequences in a movie where there's no dialogue, you know, like the cleanup of the murder in the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple. But that thing's happening! That thing's happening, though! Link! Nothing <laughs> happens in this 20 minutes. It's a slow just build. Just some fags and listen to shit jazz. It's lulling you into a false sense of and security. And then some polystyrene graves slightly move, and a, a Halloween hand goes, hello! And then it, they use the same Halloween hands to try and open a door frame because they're clearly very limited in their budget. And it's like, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. Eventually they get a real hand. No, why? No, no. Cinematic masterpiece. I, I, I won't have a word said against it. That's one of my favourite sequences right there. It's not like what happens next is so realistic that it all needs to be established. <laughs> you need to understand the complicated things that are going on. I didn't really believe it when she... Okay, she has to bed down somewhere for the night, but she gets changed into her night clothes. She like sets up the radio. She hangs out her clothes out to dry or whatever. It's, it's like she's moved into this abandoned monastery. It's like she's, she's just given up on life. The thing is, I think you're trying to apply logic to this film called Tombs of the Blind Dead. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. And I, I don't think it holds up to it. I mean, I did type that title uh, into my phone and it auto-corrected to Terms of the Blind Dad, which uh, is, a, is a film <laughs> I'd like to see. I could get him Blonde Dad on my phone. That's that because you keep looking at BlondeDad.com. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's auto-completes. <laughs> but no, I don't want to look at Blonde Dads today. I want to look at Zombie Knights Templar. <laughs> I don't know why I got bothered by the train scene so much. The one at the end? No, no, the train scene at the start. The beginning, right. Uh, where I don't think anyone had ever been on a train before, because why is it that the man that does the coal is also the one that goes and does the tickets as well? <laughs> uh, staff shortages, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why that bothered me. I mean, it's just the, the economic realities of rural Spain at that time, I think. <laughs> Quite a political film, it turns out. It's a very realistic <laughs> film. In researching Spanish horrors for this, I did look into the kind of political and, and socioeconomic background of Spain at the time. And, you know, the country was under the rule of General Franco, the fascist dictator. And uh, the one good thing he did was he tried to embrace tourism because Spain's economy was fucked and it, there was no way it could catch up to other countries in Europe. It lagged too far behind with technologies and the industrial revolution and stuff. So they had a policy of embracing tourism and so that's why so many of these films have people on vacation and foreign tourists coming in and you see that in like um, Who Can Kill a Child um, Spanish movie with mm. um, English tourists coming in I'm just thinking of just like Spanish tourist mode. come to Spain kill a kid <laughs> yeah. who can kill a child you can <laughs> there is a lot of nice scenery in these films yeah what I found with this is I love the scenes with the blind dead I thought those are like proper creepy and spooky and so on yeah. it was just the rest of it the pacing of this and quite a lot of these was really slow and i don't mind films that are slow paced but these were just so sorry yeah and i, I like the um eerie monkish chanting though whenever the deeper voice would cut in, that would always, that would always make me laugh just because i like funny noises i also liked how in the middle of this one totally different to the other Blind Dead films, it introduces that zombie aspect where one of the female victims comes to life in the fashion shop, I think it is. And, yeah. and, and that, that felt like suddenly a Mario Bar 
Bava Jalo uh, with mm. the lighting and and the mannequins. Yeah, where she wa- yeah. <laughs> she's walking through the whole load of mannequins, and everything going hello, 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 yeah. and then she walks past one that actually looks like the Lionel Richie head in the hello video. <laughs> <laughs> but then my favourite thing is that she gets set on fire. And turns into a mannequin herself. When she wakes up in the morgue, is amazing. That that morgue assistant is such a funny character. And then there's uh, we get a bit at the end where the four of them, the two couples, kind of wife swap, go off and do their own thing. And I don't know about you, but when I heard them say this, that is your girl, right? She's not my girl. I thought they were about to burst into song. That is your girl, right? She's not my girl. That is your girl. She's not my girl. She wears torture. Not bad. Is this an A&R meeting now? <laughs> yeah, good little support slot, Lincoln. <laughs> did you do that bit of sampling there or did someone actually sample? Uh, no, I did it. Oh, yeah, it's good. I like that. I might rip that idea <laughs> off. Thank you. All right. Fine. It's yours. <laughs> anything else on this? I think the final massacre on the train is better than anything in Train to Busan. Yeah. No, definitely. Get out of here. <laughs> you don't see anything. There's blood splashing on a child's face. which uh, I don't know. Yeah, but you don't really see anything properly. I don't know. I, I found it like really bleak and uh, quite a harrowing ending. And uh, I think he was probably, um, the director was inspired by Night of the Living Dead because it turns into a series of still photographs. Mm. Like, yeah, like yeah, the way Night of the Living Dead does. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Not just still a living dead dog. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, um, Tunes of the Blind Dead has lots of alternative titles, as these things do. It was released in America as both Mark of the Devil 4 and Mark of the Devil 5, but also as Revenge from Planet Ape, where they added a prologue <laughs> to suggest that the zombies are ancient apes from Planet of the Apes that have returned amazing. from the grave. Yeah. It's not even Planet of the Apes, Planet Ape. It's probably better than Tim Burton's one. <laughs> yeah, most things are, to be fair. Like the sort of its day, there was a new sequel annually for the next few years, beginning with the confusingly titled Return of the Evil Dead in 73, then the Ghost Galleon in 74, and finally Night of the Seagulls in 75. Uh, let's talk about the sequels. Um, any favourite bits, preferences, whatever? I like the fourth one the best. It might be because it's got a slight folk horror vibe to it and anything that's slightly folk horror I'm always like well in there. And also it was the only one that didn't have a rape scene. I like that one the best the first time I watched them. This time I found it sluggish. I think you really need to be in the right mood for... Well, you know I like films. slow films, so yeah. yeah, I like that one. The second one I thought was pretty good and again it felt like a Night of the Living Dead type thing. Also reminded me a little bit of The Fog. You know, I mean, this whole series kind of reminds me of The Fog. I, w- I wonder if Carpenter saw these. Yeah. But I, I actually like the third one, Ghost Galleon, which is obviously the worst one and, and no one else <laughs> seems to so like bad. it. But it reminded me of a Scooby-Doo episode. So and I, I just really liked it for that. I like the idea that they've got this great idea for an advertising campaign where they're just going <laughs> to abandon two models on a boat and they need to be rescued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a load of shit. The first sequel, Return of the Evil Dead, I like the way it just gets off to, again, a really flying start with that torture scene. It's definitely an improvement on the first torture scene, like effects-wise and just also efficiency-wise, because, mm. you know, they're, like, riding around the horses going, eh with my knife, eh And she's like, ah, fuck off. 
But in the second one, they're like, no, we're just going to stab you. Fuck it. But they did more of a sense of theatricality, though. With the yeah, first one, yeah. It feels more like torture, whereas the second one is just like, stab. They look like they're having a whale of a time. It looks like the knight and the victim both look like they're pissing themselves laughing throughout that whole scene. <laughs> <laughs> Were any of the alternative titles to this one something like Monkish Tit Stab? <laughs> Should have been. You you know the first Austin Powers film? You know the steamroller scene mm. where the steamroller's just coming towards him for ages yeah. and he's mm-hmm. screaming and, and he could run away from it? That is what most of the monster scene, like the <laughs> lying dead, like that when that woman's in the house and they are just knocking on the door with a sword for ages. <laughs> they could, could, They're very polite zombies. They always knock. They could just run away. I don't know. I feel like there was better bits in the in the first film, but I feel like when they actually come to the town and start killing everyone, I think this one goes a bit bigger than the first film. Um, and that's where I had a bit more fun with those parts. But yeah, the uh, when they're trying to get into people's houses and it's the slowest walking people and you can tell there's one man in the suit that can knock get up the stairs properly because <laughs> he can't see and he's just about to fall over. And it's, yeah, it's very funny. Right, if you've not had enough of medieval looking killers on horseback hunting down defenceless women, that's how 1983's Panic Beats opens. Um, we had to include at least one Paul Nashy joint in this episode. I don't really like watching Paul Nash. He's a boring, uncharismatic blancmange of a man. And I don't like it in Panic Beats when his character refers to his cock as the big bad dragon while he's sitting <laughs> in the bath. <laughs> I didn't watch this film, but now I'm, I'm going to have weird ideas of what it's about. He, he looked like the, the Spanish John Belushi to me, actually. Which, yes, yeah. he does. <laughs> What I found really weird about Panic Beats is, I mean, the title is so great and I was really disappointed that it wasn't like a Mm. disco horror or like a robicide or something like that or murder rock, you know. This came out in 1983, though. Yeah. That's the same year as Return of the Jedi. And like it doesn't, (laughs) it it looks like it's from 1973. Like everything about it looks like an early 70s movie and weirdly the title music is actually like a, a library piece from 1959 so that like <laughs> even threw me even more yeah I was just kind of scratching my head watching like how how is this 1983 like the only way you can tell is because uh, one of the characters has got posters on their bedroom wall and there's, yeah. there's like um, is it Prince or, or someone like that on there um, is it Vesta Williams or something yeah I really like this film now um, I didn't like it the first time I watched it because like I said I don't like Paul Nashy, but but I've really like it's more about the women in the film. He just turns up occasionally to be a blamange um, and sit in the bath and say his cock is a big bad dragon. Yeah, I liked his side piece wearing the leopard skin catsuit. <laughs> that was quite a good look. <laughs> but the women are really good in it. Um, the character Genevieve, she has like a heart attack that goes on for ages. It reminded me of yes. seeing that turkish clip on youtube with the guy being shot and he's like it takes 10 minutes to die from being shot and then conversely there's a character called mabille they push her down the stairs or something and she's like sort of hanging uh, i'm about to fall down the stairs i'm about to fall down the stairs i'm about to fall down which gives her plenty of time to grab onto the banister and not fall down the stairs and then she falls down the stairs and there's like five steps She'd twist her ankle at, at most, but she dies, or near enough dies. Also, the the killer in this wears a suit of armour, which yeah. makes surely makes him slower than the blind dead, but uh, <laughs> still manages to kill all these people. It's a fun film. It's very enjoyable. 
Let's stick with the 80s now because I'm dying to talk about Anguish, Big S Luna's oh. really unusual slash film with American stars Zelda Rubenstone and Michael Lerner. I can't believe this is 88. This is uh, very modern. 87, yeah. But no, I, I love this because at first I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is mm. the guy from Barton Fink. Yeah. Doing a comedy with Lady from all the horror films. Like, <laughs> Zelda, Zelda Rubenstein. There we go. Um, the score was like comedic. I guess because I've watched Demons and stuff, I was like, this is a fucking film in it. And then it pulls back and it is a film. And You I, guessed. I guessed. I did a guess. Whoa. I never do a guess. It's because the score was so off. And um, mm. it was so... Although when it was revealed, it was a, a film within a film. I can't I just want to watch the rest of the film. Yeah, mm. I think that's the problem with films within a film is that uh, if they go on too long, you end up not having a, enough time with either of the narratives. Yeah. Mm. And also the teenage girls are quite difficult to get behind as well. Oh, I think she's so brilliant, Patty. Like the way really? she's just sitting there going, I don't like this. I'm really scared. I don't. She's so brilliant. She is what the title Anguish is about. It's her sitting there being unable to move, unable to leave her seat, being scared. If I saw a kid like that, my safeguarding training would kick right in and I'd take her right out of the fucking cinema um, with another adult. I think the point of the film is that no one does what they should do at any no, point. No, I mean... And it's really tense. You've got a good point there because all of the cool, interesting stuff is happening on the screen and all the stuff in real life, quotation marks, they're all falling into those cliches that would happen in a horror film. Yeah. So, which makes it extra frustrating. So maybe it was genius. I don't know. I thought there was some incredible shots where the action happening in the reality of the film was being mirrored by the film mm. within the film behind them. I thought those were really clever framings. But that ultimately, the, the film felt like a very clever exercise, which I did appreciate. But it, it didn't kind of get me emotionally because there wasn't enough there character-wise. That first scene where the bird gets stuck behind the cupboard and it's like a really mm. tense scene of trying yeah. to rescue mm. a bird from behind a cabinet. How is that the opening of a film and why is it so good? I kind of like the ambition of this film more than the film overall, but there were some bits that were excellent and that scene definitely was. And I, I just like the weirdness of the whole kind of mythology with the sort of psychic mother-son link and the whole mm. going on about the snails. And then there's at one point she says, the eyes of the city are ours or something. Yeah. Which is such a creepy oh, line. The and eyes in the city will be ours. <laughs> <laughs> sample that. Yeah, definitely sample that. <laughs> that hypnotism scene where it feels yeah. like, obviously the film within the film is trying to hypnotise the audience, but it mm. also feels like the film you are watching at home is trying to hypnotise yeah. you. I, I felt so like um, Gaspar Noe must have seen yeah. this film. Mm. Um, it's directed by Biggest Luna. And I, I don't know if you noticed that one of the posters on the wall of the cinema, whatever fake film it is, it says directed by Anus Ligab or something like that. Which, what? Which was <laughs> a anagram. bizarre tack she put in. He's made an anagram of his name and made it Anus something. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I've been on Countdown. I can work this out. <laughs> 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 have you really been on countdown i have been on countdown yeah and i won i've got a teapot to prove it oh wow amazing what you got bulgy anus is oh hang on i spelled anus wrong it's um, not that complicated it's just biggest luna backwards <laughs> what's, the, um, what's the deal with rachel riley being a massive she's shithole? the nicest person she's a shit heel she's she comes across as the nicest person so did hitler 
No, I don't think he did. <laughs> <Does> he, <though? laughs> I think he famously didn't come across as a very nice person. Wow. In a parallel universe, there's a Nazi version of Countdown. You have the numbers? No, it's exactly the same as Countdown, except it's um, Ich möchte zwei große Nummer und ein kleiner Nummer bitte, Adolf. Yeah, okay. You'll get what you want and like it. <laughs> we have ways of making you spell. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughs because the letters come out and it spells Scheiser and they're like, <laughs> How would German count? Oh, no, just. I'm just thinking about how umlauts would work. See, when I did Duolingo, I was trying to revise my German and clearly forgot it all. Anyway. All I know in German is Blasmir Iron. What's Blasmir Iron? I just mean suck my uh, cock. Yeah. <laughs> I had a German friend and that's all he ever taught me. And did you? <laughs> well, that's all I ever learned. <laughs> he said so that you... and the rest was history. <laughs> Maybe that is all you need, just that, and then dunk a shirt afterwards. Really polite. This is how boring Spanish films are. We're talking about Nazis and sucking. Well, look, you, you did say you've only managed to watch three of the films on our watch list, but you have learned one word of Spanish. What is the word of Spanish? From my dad, tatas. Oh. Tits. What does that mean? Tits. Yep. Tits. Tatas. Yeah. That's, that's all my dad ever taught me um, when we were on holiday <laughs> one time. Are you sure he wasn't just ordering patatas bravas the whole time? No, he thought it was funny. to. He was joking about we were near the beach and he said there's lots of women on the beach with nice tatas. And I said, what does that mean, dad? And then, yeah. Is there a bar anywhere in Spain that's called tatas y patatas bravas? Tatas y tapas. Yeah, ta- yeah, tapas and tits. There we go. Perfect. Well, yeah, you've got sushi bars that do that, don't you? So I'm guessing there must be tapas bars that are doing that. Sushi doesn't rhyme with tits, though, in any language. <laughs> <laughs> Sashimi and your peony. Bushies. Yeah, bushy sushi. Couldn't you call it that? Yeah. You could, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, that's going to yeah. get unpleasant when the wasabi comes out. A little bit of sushi in a bush, eh? A little bit of uh, wasabi and some punani. No, I said the whole sushi bush thing, and I said it's going to get unpleasant when the wasabi comes out because Aye. it stings. <laughs> I, I've, I put a bit of wasabi on my knob, and then I put a little bit of coke on, a little bit of speed on my gums. Fucking yes. Uh, yeah, can you call me an ambulance, please? <laughs> I, I, I will say at this point, I did promise Lincoln we'd try and tone it down a bit this month <laughs> so he doesn't get into trouble. You were meant to tell us to tone it down. <laughs> yeah. To the Chris credit, he didn't think we start talking about putting wasabi on our knobs, so... No, or in... <laughs> no, not in the Spanish episode, no. Let's talk about some more bad Spanish films, hey? Yes, let's talk about some more Spanish films. Um, how about The House That Screamed from 1969, set in a 19th century boarding school, at which no point features a house that screams. So <laughs> I would have enjoyed watching that. <laughs> Probably more than this. Yeah, un- unlike the other Spanish horror, The House with Laughing Windows, which does have laughing windows. Is that Spanish? I thought it was Italian. It's Italian. Because <gasps> I've got a mug. No, it might be because Sp- the mug I have is like Casa, and I think that's Spanish. It's Casa in Italian as well. But you had the house that had tatas, didn't you? You had that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all on the same road. You've got the house with laughing windows, the house that screamed, and the house with tatas. <laughs> the house with tatas. <laughs> annoying thing about Latin based languages, right? Because it says Casa, but also says Fenetra, which is French. Maybe I bought a shit. It's mark. not Fenetra, it's Fenestre. 
which is Italian. I don't know. I'm dyslexic. I bought a mug for my boyfriend for a fucking Jalo film that he likes. You can't, you can't, you can't blame not understanding the Italian language on dyslexia. That's just not knowing the different language. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> Look, if a letter's got an accent on it, that messes oh, it up for us. Oh, it's just too. An umlaut? Fuck off, right? And what are them little tails on a C? No. No. What are you trying to do to me? I've already got a discordation condition. So are we going to talk about the house and screen, or are we just going to talk bollocks? <laughs> bollocks. <laughs> well, I love the house that screamed. There was a thing that um, I think it was response to someone else's tweet, Cliff. I think it may have been last year. Somebody put, oh, I hate movie podcasts that just describe the movies. And you said, yeah, that's absolutely right. I hate that too. The best movie podcasts are the ones that just talk about the film for two minutes and then go <laughs> off on one about Last of the Summer Wine or some shit. Yeah. Well, 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 now we're talking. Okay. <laughs> Compo, my boy. So anyway... I, I love the house that screamed. <laughs> Let's talk about the house that screamed for at and least two minutes. Right, I'm starting the timer now. So, Lincoln, you've got two minutes to talk about it. Bear in mind that maybe 30 seconds of this will make it into the edit. Okay. <laughs> so, one of the things that uh, blew me away about this film was how much like Suspiria it was. Like when they start doing ballet lessons, the whole thing of like a new girl coming to this school and the mysterious goings on there. Visually, it's more like the Suspiria remake. Yes, it's, it's got the same so brown. Uh, colour palette. Mm. I love the cast and especially the English actress, I think Mary Maud. Mm. Um, I was just kind of in shock watching the film thinking, why isn't she in like a hundred horror films from the 70s i thought she was so good i like the start where um the teacher's doing her dictation i uh, fucking took me back to what it used to be like when i was at school and your teacher would just read something out and you'd have to write it down verbatim when you were in a 19th century all girls school Cliff. <laughs> no no this was in like the late 80s yeah really bad way to teach but she goes the first line of the film is um she goes Molière was an absolute master <laughs> she makes it sound like an insult i was expecting her to say yeah and voltaire was a total chief these are the kind of highbrow jokes i'm here for yes (laughs) you know i love suspiria the original but one of the things that i don't like about it so much is that the first 15 minutes are so great that the rest of the film doesn't really live up to those first 15 whereas with the house that screamed it feels like a slow burn and the ending I found genuinely quite scary. So if you haven't seen The House That Screamed, I strongly recommend it. Yeah, and to be fair, I did like it the first time I watched it. I just wasn't really in the mood this time. You've got to be in the right mood for... You do. Sometimes you're in the mood for a house that screams. Sometimes you're in the mood for the house with tits. However, every time I watch The Cannibal Man, it gets better. I grew up knowing about this as one of the original video nasties. And then watching it, it's far subtler and more low-key. So maybe I should watch it another time and I might appreciate it. I think what disappoints a lot of people is that it's called... The, the, the British title was The Cannibal Man. And there's no fucking cannibalism <laughs> yeah. in it at all. No, well, it's the original title just like... Week of the Killer. Yeah, yeah. I know it as um, The Apartment on the 13th Floor. Maybe that's the American title. I've not heard of that. But yeah, Week of the Killer, because he pretty much... Spends a week killing. Yeah, Yeah. he kills someone different every day, apart from one day he has a day off and the next day he's got bad stomach. Like Craig David. (laughs) Funny you should say that. Oh, God. Be the cabbie dead on Sunday. Strangled my girlfriend on Monday. Split my brother. 
the cellar, but on Tuesday He flashed his fiancé's throat on Wednesday Put an axe in the dad's face on Thursday I chilled on Friday Had a bad tummy on Saturday Thought I would shit myself Battered my new girlfriend on Sunday that's the plot of um, Week of the Killer. Excellent. Brilliant. This is an A&R session. Cliff, I'm going to sign you. <laughs> I'm going to make you a star, son. <laughs> yes, at last. <laughs> Who said 47 was too old to be a pop star? <laughs> Cliff won't say yes without us three. We're a package. Also, you need to have the um, Gabba tune that you made using that bit of hereditary. Oh yeah, have you got that? Please play it. Yeah, please play that, that was fucking nice. <laughs> all I do is worry and slave and defend you and all I get back is that fucking face on your face, on your face, on your face, fucking face on your face, on your face, on your face, fucking face on your face. That, that's what you want to hear, <laughs> is it? I've got a nosebleed. <laughs> I love death grips. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in 1973's The Corruption of Chris Miller, a strange young man who may or may or not be a masked killer moves in with a woman and a disturbed daughter. Uh, Emily, you watch Ghostwatch. There's a, there's a Chris Miller in Ghostwatch, don't you remember? And I thought, I hope they don't say the cameraman Chris Miller's name over and over again because I'll just keep thinking. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I said when we talked about Chris Miller in Ghostwatch before. (laughs) That's a tenuous connection, but it's worth it for that uh, audio gag. He has these lined up, that's the worst thing. This is like a mad soap opera, this one. It is. Um, it's just a really fucking long two-hour soap opera. Yeah, but I did like the opening scene with the um, the woman throwing the Charlie Chaplin mime out of her house and then he gets murdery because that's just mental. And I was just mm. like, if the whole film is like this, this is going to be fucking brilliant. And then it just plateaus. Again, I love the corruption of Chris Miller. It's really good. <laughs> There's a theme to this episode. I love all these slow films. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but I felt like it became kind of a hangout movie. And I just liked watching that actress who's got one of those cool single word names, Marisol. Um, is it Marisol? Yeah. Yeah. And just her going uh, horse riding or hanging out in the garden. I thought it was a good hangout movie that suddenly turns violent. Yeah, it's very good. Have you seen um, Norman J. Warren's Prey? With Barry Stokes, the same guy? Exactly, with Barry Stokes. Yeah. The interesting thing there is that Norman J. Warren's terror is obviously influenced by Suspiria. So I wonder if he had seen this film and cast Baza off the back of it. Yeah, because it's pretty similar, isn't it? He also used Mary Maud in Terror, who was in The House That Screams. So right. maybe he was checking out these European horrors, getting ideas from there. Um, Norman was actually like a family friend of mine uh, growing up. So, oh, no way. Um, yeah. So I got to kind of hang out when they were making uh, Bloody New Year. Fuck me. My dad actually plays the table monster in that movie. I don't know if you remember, but there's a scene where a tablecloth, a green tablecloth comes alive and attacks a woman. And that's my dad. And that's wonderful. The thing oh is, it, it, it was so low budget that they didn't really give him any preparations. So when you do that in a movie, the strangler is meant to pull away and the person getting strangled is meant to pull them towards themselves. But my dad wasn't told that. <laughs> 
She survived. And to thank your Wikipedia page, the only thing it says about your dad is that he was shaking Stevens's manager. Yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> the fucking table monster in Bloody New Year. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the shaky side, that's a horror story in its own right. But um... <laughs> See that table monster? That's your dad, is it? <laughs> it, is. it should be a Welsh accent, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, sadly, Norman passed away uh, not long ago, but otherwise yeah. it, it would have been really cool to ask him actually about that. There is a Norman J. Warren commentary on Bloody New Year. I'm going to definitely ah, check that bit Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. check that out as well. Yeah, Cool. I like the bit in the corruption of Chris Miller where Ted Heath and the TUC agree to talk. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed the bit where Barry Stokes is reading the uh, Daily Mirror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the headline. Ted Heath and the TUC agreed to talk, which I tracked down that Saturday, 29th July, 1972's issue of the Daily Mirror. And I checked the newspaper archives and I found some other headlines in that very issue. Why the fuck did I do this? But other headlines in that issue of the Daily Mirror, the blue show in a Tory phone booth. Ooh, who knows what that's about? Milady seduced me, claims the butler. Well, this sounds like this movie, yeah. And oops, Diane's bikini is a flop. <laughs> Other headlines in that same issue of Daily Mirror that appears in The Corruption of Chris Miller there. And this movie is directed by Juan Antonio Bardem, who is Javier Bardem's mm. uncle. Yes, who we'll be mentioning later. Yeah. All right, to Barcelona now. Wait, 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 wait. I've oh. got my acting fact. Hold on to your hat. Friday's acting fact. Uh, Barry Stokes was also in the film Enemy Mine. <gasps> Enemy, Enemy Mine! Mine! Oh, Enemy, Enemy Mine! Mine! Enemy Mine! Enemy Mine! Junior, and is it Dennis Quaid? Yes! Hey, hang on, Lincoln. You weren't the kid who was in the video shop in East Grinstead that day that I saw two kids <laughs> about a couple of years younger than me going, Enemy Mine! Enemy Mine! Was <laughs> <laughs> that you? Was no, that but you? I did see it in 1985 when I was, like, six. <laughs> because... I had no idea. I've mentioned this before. I had no idea why they were so excited about Enemy Mine. I've never heard That's of it. That's the that. only reason I mentioned it. Because you're, Enemy Mine, Enemy Mine. <laughs> Just always think of that whenever I come across Enemy Mine. <laughs> enemy Mine, Enemy Mine. So yeah, he was in Enemy Mine. All right, to Barcelona now. A nasty little film that was shot in the UNESCO World Heritage Site, Park Güell. 1975's The Killer of Dolls. <gasps> this is Batshit, an amazing film. Yes, who's been to Park Guell, though? That's the important Who's thing. been to what, what? Who Have you been to Park Guell, where it was made? No, it's, but it looks like an amazing location. The most amazing thing about it is I've never seen outdoor escalators before. Oh, God, he's assuming that I've been abroad. That's what's happening, isn't it? Have you been to Australia, for fuck's sake? How much more abroad can you get? Yeah, but, like, for work. I haven't been on holiday. You've not been to Westfield in Stratford? They've got outdoor <laughs> escalators. No, 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 but that's going into a building. This is just going from a road up to a park. Like, before the escalator, I would talk about the killer's red woolen crop top. This is one of the first films to feature an outside <laughs> It doesn't, though. It doesn't appear in the film. I don't know if they installed it later. It's not even in the film. There's <laughs> no escalators in it. What about the killer's crop top sweater? <laughs> Oh, it's such a nice sweater, though. Do you know what? My favourite thing about this film is that he runs like Andy Samberg in Hot Rod. Yeah, it's like having Kenneth Williams as the killer. It's amazing. <laughs> Carry on up the escalators. <laughs> the little kid that he befriends. Robert. Uh, who does all the doll smashing in the arson. 
he looks so much like I did at that age. Oh, God, did you have it's little scary. hot pants as well? Same sort of, I say dress sense, you know, 70s-ish clothes. That haircut, that, I, he just looks exactly like Were I did. Were you also doing arson and doll smashing? No, I was playing mousetrap and eating chocolate oh. cake. <laughs> Can't imagine you doing either of those things, but cute. Can't imagine me playing mousetrap. I know. I, or well, eating chocolate go. cake. What? Well, next time I see you, let's play mousetrap and eat chocolate cake. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, bitches. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I'll try and drown you in a river. Woo! Because that's what happens in the film. What a good film. Yes. What a good film. This is a great film. I really enjoyed this film. It was fucking weird. Jallo adjacent, strange hallucinogenic lovely jumpers children mannequins sex mrs robinson live band for some reason with dancers pretending to be dolls <laughs> that musical interlude that, that was my favorite moment when that <laughs> band appears and also i think more films should start with someone directly addressing the camera mm. and saying the name of the film i don't think i've ever well, seen well he that was before. like the writer director and he was just like here's my film about dolls and i hate dolls and i'm going to kill them here's a great <laughs> film what is not just right. that was a nice parallel for my month because i've also been watching cabinet of curiosities which is Guillermo del Toro being a big Spanish man going, hello, welcome to my thing. Buenas noches, here's some things. And then watch this film, it's like, hello, I'm a creepy Spanish man. Buenas noches, goodbye. <laughs> but this film was great. See, I found this one a bit too slow in the middle. Why? It's too slow for you? But it's coming to terms of its dysmorphia. It leans very heavily on Psycho in that, like, the main character is dressing up as a female family member, so I... I would say it's less sort of just gay issues, more maybe more to sort of dysmorphic issues, but right. also it's using the sort of the shock of like, mother, you created a beast. Yeah, it's like, you know, he's, he's cross-dressing as his sister. Norman Bates cross-dresses his mother to commit these crimes because of the abuse he had at his mother. This character's dressing up as his sister because he's, he's had his mother. Turns out mum's a shit. Well, that's a trope throughout horror, isn't it? Yeah, like, all, yeah. Like, all those 80s ones about he's a killer because he saw his mum doing his sex. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right, I'm going to say too serious for this point in the podcast. No, no. I hate when I go on to a serious point and I'm like, actually, no, knobs and cocks. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the house with dicks on. That was a, that's a good one. <laughs> Luke, you bastard. <laughs> you just made beer go all up my face. Who watched Trauma? Yeah. No. Shall we talk about Trauma quickly? I really like Trauma, but it's like it's such an obscure one. I didn't like it so much. It felt like a kind of inept remake of Psycho again. I thought the main bloke looks like a bloated Tim Key. <laughs> yeah. But why are there so many shower scenes with him? <laughs> yeah. And close-ups of his ass, which I really didn't need. I don't think that fish with iron sauce sounds like a particularly nice dinner to serve your hotel guests. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think when the subtitle goes in this bumfuck place, I don't think that can possibly be what the original dialogue says. <laughs> but I love it. It's the second time I watched it and I was genuinely intrigued and couldn't remember how it ends and was fascinated. And I think the reason I couldn't remember how it ends is because the ending makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Again, I had the opposite reaction. I found this way too plodding and completely guessable. Really? Guessable? But it makes no sense. How can you possibly guess <laughs> an ending that makes no logical sense? I'm out there, man. What can I say? <laughs> All right. Our second feature now, and it's yet another psychological thriller about a disturbed young dude fresh out of the <laughs> asylum. 1974's A Bell from Hell, which was directed by Claudio Garin, at least until he fell from the bell tower in the film and died. And then Javier Bardem's uncle had to take over. 
Here's the trailer. We are letting you out on a kind of probation. Your aunt and I hope that you can conduct yourself normally. What did they do to you in the clinic those three years? Did they cure you? Yes. Now I'm completely mad. And I'll do anything I can not to have you squander my sister's money. Please leave her alone. That still leaves Teresa and Esther for you. Leave your cousins alone, all three of them, please. <laughs> Is this a new game? <laughs> I don't trust you. Forever Jacker, that Spanish classic. Um, a young man is released from psychiatric hospital and starts spending time with the horrible old aunt and three sexy female cousins who put him in there. I didn't like this film. Be honest, no? I didn't like it. Didn't care for it. I wasn't a fan either. It takes 50 minutes to get into finding out why he's doing what he's doing. And I think there's some moments that do work. And the ending... It's like the biggest standout of this whole film with the whole like set up a piano, a mannequin. Oh yeah, yeah. that was batshit. I actually, I like that ending scene. Well, it's all that's all set up by the fact that he's a prankster. He's like Shelley in Friday the 13th Part 3. Or is he more like Tommy in Friday the 13th Part 4? Is he an annoying <laughs> prankster or has he got plans? Is he a man with a plan? Just a bit of a dick. He seems like a bit of a terrible prankster because I just laugh so much at the bit where he's meant to be pulling out his eyeballs. And he thinks that's okay to prank someone. He just terrifies that's the woman. That's really fucked up. But what about the next one where he goes into the toilet, pretending his arms are broken and makes some bloke pull his knob out while he's having a piss? <laughs> yeah. um, what? What was... Were they meant was... to be pranks? I thought it was just him being a bit... Like, yeah, in, in modern oh. day, he returned to him when after the guy's got his knob out and said, oh, it's just a prank, bro. That's what's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the modern bands, version man. of this. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I love this film. Like, this is literally one of my favourite films of all time. And I think it is oh, one of the best horror films of the 70s. Are you, are you pranking us right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like it. I think it's a good film. The first time I saw it, I liked it, but I didn't think it really worked. But then I've watched it a few times over the years and it's gotten better every time. And I actually think the script by Santiago Moncada, who also wrote All the Colours of the Dark and Hatchet for oh, a Honeymoon really? and Cutthroat's Nine... Oh. Uh, yeah. I think the script is amazing. It is like a Swiss watch. It's all setups and payoffs. Everything in the film interconnects mm. and makes sense. And, you know, like the way the guys are prankster, like the jokes are built around obviously setups and payoffs and I feel like the whole film is structured like that so I think it's really clever and rewards multiple viewings. It's got a really sinister bit where John goes to work in the abattoir but only yeah. like for a day or two and then when he leaves... He goes, oh, I've learned enough. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. At that point, I was like, fuck yes, Ginger John, I'm up for this. Yes, let's carry on. And then it's just, I guess I'm not a big fan of rich people being mean to each other as a film because it's just boring yeah. to me. It's just like rich people playing games with each other. Like Some people watch the Kardashians and that's what they're into. But it shows systemic violence at work rather than random acts of, of uh, you know, a lone psycho's violence. The whole film is kind of building him up, like major spoilers here. So please, if you haven't seen the film, watch it first. But, you know, the whole film is building him up as a psycho killer, but he doesn't actually kill anyone in the end. And the people who do kill him 
him are the you know supposed good people who mm, go to mm. church and actually use mm. the church as an instrument of killing him. The main actor in this, Renaud Villet, was mm. a French actor. And again, this is a Spanish-French co-production, so that's why they use Frere Jacques in the movie. Okay, some of that sweet, sweet French royalty money. <laughs> I found him on Instagram today, the actor, and started following him. And he followed me back, so I DM'd him saying, oh, "I, you know, I love this movie, The Bell from Hell." You know, and he's like seventy-eight now. You know, he was only in a handful of films. So he's going to be listening to this. He'd be like, "Hey, Lacun, why are you not sticking up from my film?" Why are you not sick up to that lady who says the shit? He doesn't speak English. That was Brian speaking, speaking French. French. That was perfect French. Did you not hear it? <laughs> <laughs> the main character has got a pet monkey. And as a kid, I had a pet monkey. So What? <laughs> you had a what? pet monkey? That's awesome. What? What kind of monkey? monkey? I mean, it was very much like Ross's on Friends. Basically, my mum rescued a monkey that like an organ grinder had on a chain. Mm. And she was so shocked at the state it was in that she gave him some cash to take the monkey off his hands. Wow. We only had it for about a week, though, because, you know, it was a wild monkey that took over the house and terrified us all. <laughs> and it actually played the piano in the night. Oh, wow. my God. Oh. Lincoln, scary. where did you grow up? In Wales. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, this isn't a common occurrence in Wales. Like seaside town, seaside yeah. town. Do you know what? I once got paid to go to Newport to tech a theatre show and I went to the Weatherspoons and they were like, oh, I stayed in a Weatherspoons hotel and I went there one night to get my dinner and I had it in my Weatherspoons hotel bed and I got covered in bed bugs. And the next day I went for more Weatherspoons can coffee. I just say, is... Brian, can I just interrupt to say, now that we've had the preview of your Welsh accent with that little... Oh, I oh. can't wait to hear the full sentence. Oh, okay, it's great. It's great. So, Newport, wake up. Go to the Weatherspoons, 9am. There's already, like, a load of Newport men drinking booze. There's no monkeys. But, um, so, they go, oh, we had... <laughs> Here we go. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than that. We had six chairs. This... Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on, you can still pull this back. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's not even that good a story. It's not even that good a story. We had six chairs last night. Now we've only got two. <laughs> they keep bloody stealing them. But that's how they sounded. It's, <laughs> it's like a story. So I like to think that your monkey got released into Wales. And stole all the Weatherspoons. <laughs> Hang on, they only had six chairs in a whole Weatherspoons. <laughs> Out for the outside. We only had six chairs last night, and now they've stolen four. We've only got two. And the best thing about that Weatherspoons hotel was the fire safety exit was the uh, travel lodge across the road. I'm warm into it. Okay, I'm warm good. into it. Best hotel I've ever stayed in. But uh, the monkey got taken to a monkey sanctuary, I think, in Bristol Zoo. So happy ending there. I hope he's sitting on one of four Weatherspoons chairs. (laughs) (laughs) Playing the piano. Well, if nothing else, A Bell from Hell is a great description of something that would make, wait for it, scary noises. Okay, so Lincoln, you were on a team with Bryony against Luke and Emily. The Welsh team, we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, the Welsh team, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and get a dog toy. 
We've got one of the world's premier <laughs> musicians. <laughs> it's time for dog toy. Oh, Thinking outside no. the box. Sonic experimentation. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, perfect. Good, good. Luke, you've got a... Does this work? Oh, it's a different frog. Yeah, it does work. Yeah, it's a frog, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Emily, shaky I've egg, is got it? I've got the shaky egg, yeah. Shaky egg, Bryony. Oh, no, here we go. <laughs> Once again, I haven't unpacked any of my noisemakers, so I'm going to do a drum and bass. Yeah, yeah. A mouth air horn. Good, good, good. Right, here's your first pair yeah. of scary noises. Bullets on the man. They pulled this fucking gun down. Bullets, Jack. Bullets stop. Fired at this thing. And he just kept coming. Bullets don't stop it. What, what are you doing? The man. Like humans, they got Jack. One of them was missing a hand. So they cut off Jack. Mm. Oh, I know that music because oh. I remember that happening in the film and I was like, oh, that's really cool. But I can't yeah. remember which Spanish horror film it was now. They're all a blur. I know that dialogue, but I can't remember which movie that is. So together we're almost half a person. <laughs> a Welsh person. <laughs> <laughs> almost half a person. Anyone? No. 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 All right. Well, the music was the house that screamed and the dialogue was Scarecrows. Oh, I've not even seen that, so I was wrong. No, but they said scarecrows in the dialogue. I made it easy for you. <laughs> uh, number two. Okay. Who's that guy? Nine. Who keeps buying me drinks? Okay. So what's up with the hairstylist? I'm sure. She's really weird. The powder's still. But does he look no that just sounds like a horrible dream that I've had last yeah, You've time. made it quite hard today. If you'd watched more than three of the films, Luke, you might have got <laughs> yeah. some. You got me there. Is the music the bells? No. Is the music Knights of the Seagulls? No, uh, the music was Anguish. Oh, no. okay. The dialogue was the stylist. Again, uh, they actually said the stylist in the dialogue, so... <laughs> it's going very well so far. Unless the next clip is literally just like... Dun, 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 dun. And then I am Superman. That's the only way we're going to get these things. I don't even know what the music was in that. Uh, I was doing a John Carpenter, generic John Carpenter. I thought it might have been the guy in the mutilator doing the music from Jaws. Doing Jaws, <laughs> yeah. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> oh my God, that guy. I love that guy. <laughs> All right, number three. No, don't worry. I just work here. Oh, we just came here to... Uh... Look at the old ruins. Murrow understands everything. But... Yes, Airhorn Bryony, yes. Is the dialogue the second Knights of the Templar film? Return of the Evil Dead, yes, I'll let you have that, yeah. Yeah, Nice. Yeah. Music. And, oh, the music. Okay, you're a music man, Lincoln. <laughs> You've listened to this podcast. You're aware and of what I'll, happens now. What can you play? <laughs> 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 My mouth. This is when I sing it to you. It sounded like an 80s Euro horror. Do we get a clue there, Cliff? I can say you're on the right lines. It is an 80s Euro horror. Is it Murder Rock? Oh, it's not Murder Rock, no. Uh, Luke and Emily, can you get the music? It is very obscure. No, don't worry, I just work here. Oh, we 
We just came here to uh, look at the old ruins. Murrow understands everything. But you don't know where you're standing. You here. The mystery lies under the ground. What do you mean? What are you talking about? What mystery? Uh, the dead. I'm getting Italian sex film vibes, but I don't know what it is. What's I guess? Uh, the sexy murders. <laughs> the house of Paul Blart Morcott. <laughs> With tits. It was Killing Birds. Oh. Ah. Halfway through, one nil to Lincoln and Bryony. Here's uh, your fourth pair. The odor from there is too much. No, don't do a thing. We hardly ever use that room and it's not aired. I'd rather we didn't go in. No, 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 no. I insist that you let me clean. I'll clean that room and give you a good air. You need fresh air to feel better. But don't you see? you going in there. All right, then you do it. I don't mind. Yeah, Lincoln. The dialogue, is that panic beat? No. Oh. Any idea on the music? Gremlins? No, it's Pop not players. Gremlins. I don't know. Luke and Emily, any idea on either of those music dialogue? No, but this is the hardest this one's been recently. It's super hard. Also, we've not watched a lot of the films, Luke. <laughs> yeah, no, I watched them all, really. I just, I just you know... <laughs> I just kept silent for a lot of them. I watched them all. I saw you sitting there contemplating of your Pez, going, yeah, I have an opinion. I'm not going to share it. <laughs> Save it off my Pez podcast. <laughs> my Pez TikToks. This noisemaker is a Pez pet. Whoa. Oh, never heard of such a thing. Wow. Does it give you Pez? No, it used, they made these and it used to hold bubble gum. Oh, uh, I was hoping the Pez would be in like the frog's mouth or something. That would be cool. Oh, random people from the internet still sending you Pez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's not panic beats, is it trauma? No. Um, Luke and Emily, did you get anything? Do you want to take a random guess? Uh, Cannibal Man. Yeah, for which music got dialogue. Uh, the dialogue. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Guess correctly. Oh, yeah. Cleaning the room. And the the music was Creep Show too. So Gremlins wasn't oh. million miles oh. guys. Oh, of course. Number five. Why should they? They don't know we're here. Only if the other girls didn't get through. I don't want to think about it. Leave over Anne. There's plenty of room that you're having to climb on. Look, you were only raped. As long as you don't tell anyone about it, you'll be all right. You pretend it never happened. I pretend I never saw it. And if we ever get out of this alive, well, maybe we'll both live to be wives and mothers. One of the grimmest bits of dialogue ever. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is all the film Sexual Short Shrug 3. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fucking guess. It's okay if you're upper class. Mm. Anyone? No. Uncle Jeremy Returns, part two. The music was The Corruption of Chris Miller and mm. the dialogue was from Killer's Moon. Anyway, number six. Yes, Riley. Um, the Killer of Dolls. The killer of Dolls, yeah. That is the Killer that. of Dolls, yeah. That was the, um, ah, Mia, saw you being, oh, I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> hot Body, I don't know where that's from. It just went, hot body. So it's some kind of, like, 70s cool film. Lincoln? I don't know, can we hear it again? No, but I can sing it. Hot body. <laughs> hot body. <laughs> Is it from something like Deaf Discotech? No. Luke and Emily, you can draw level if you can get the music. Margaret! 
I know what I got wrong there. He wasn't saying hot body, he was saying Margaret. Yeah, not hot body at all. That was part of the dialogue. The Margaret. Hot body. So, what was that disco music from? Police Academy 5. That's not Police Academy 5, <laughs> it is it? It feels like it's something I've seen, but I can't think of what it is. <laughs> it's, it's Don't Go In The House. Oh, yeah. Why? What's wrong with the house? It's got damp. Well, it doesn't have damp because he's set fire to it. <laughs> yeah, it's the one thing it doesn't have. <laughs> Which is the best cure for damp in a, in a house, generally. <laughs> Good to know, currently in a house of damp, going to set on fire. We've had some really good scores on this lately, but not this month. 2-1 to Lincoln and Bryony. Well done, anyway. <laughs> Entirely down to Bryony. Lincoln, high contrast. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been brilliant. Um, you have got your 20th anniversary special edition of your debut album out at the moment, haven't you? Yeah, it's the 20th anniversary of my first album, True Colours, so we kind of reissued it. Um, Loads of remixes. Yeah, we got remixes from Camo and Crooked and um, Flavor D. And yeah, there's like, the whole package out there. We've reissued it on vinyl. So it would be a good Christmas present for someone, perhaps. Yeah, good album. Oh, thank you so much. Next month. Mm, not sure what we're doing just yet. I'm waiting on a, hopefully another great guest to confirm. So just hold fire on that. Is that Shaking Stevens? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> me to put in a second word? choice. <laughs> <laughs> if it comes to that, we'll get shaky. <laughs> uh, we'll sort all that out behind the scenes and give you any information on a need to know basis by our, our Twitter at DevilX5. Follow us there if you don't already. Come talk to us. Tell us what you think of the podcast. Until next time. Thanks for listening. And butteros butteros gali. Oh,